Let's keep it fast. Let's keep it loose. Let's keep it buzzing. All right. I want to address the listeners of Buzzin' Biographies, who intimately I'll call Buzz Nation. So up to this point, Slavo and I have done episodes about people, and it takes time. We do our research. We read books. We follow all the links on the Wikipedia page, and then we get out some interesting anecdotes and life stories about these interesting figures. But in the meantime, we want to put out something that is still captivating and interesting, but we can put out a little more consistently. And that's what this new episode, Buzz and Blurbs, is all about. Slavo, how do you feel about this? I feel great about it. We are able to uh, keep keep up that hilarious monologue that Paz, Paz and Slavo, that hilarious back and forth that we managed to do. And we can do it in a little shorter fashion, maybe with a little less research. It takes a lot of time to go through all those Wikipedia links, hit those mm-hmm. hyperlinks, go down the rabbit hole. It takes a lot of time to watch YouTube documentaries and write down notes and still get the dates wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so, so it just gives us an opportunity to keep a, keep a consistent dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. There's a place in your life for hardcore news and investigative journalism. And there's also a place, a guilty pleasure, a tabloid news. And that's what buzz and blurbs is. I feel like this is our tabloid episodes (laughs) we are the gossip mag we will be talking about megan markle on this podcast (laughs) maybe that's that's actually possible if something crazy happens you never know could come up very possible buzzing blurbs boom 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 do you back up terry (laughs) back up Back up, Terry. All right. <laughs> so I read a book this week. So Ooh. I'm uh sick brag. <laughs> don't worry, the brags will get sicker. So I'm <laughs> I'm on an extended business trip, is what we'll say. So I've been as part of this business trip, I decided I was gonna pick up and read a book, and it was all about management uh and culture in organizations, not just business organizations, but all sorts of organizations, sports teams and nonprofits, schools, military, all sorts of different organizations. And, and this author was trying to figure out what made the 1% of the 1% top performers, what made mm-hmm. them special. Interesting. And I mean, I think we all belong to organizations. You know, humans need to organize. And usually when they do, there's a potential for very bad stuff to happen, but also very good stuff. What is the title of this book? So the title of the book is The Culture Code, and it's mm. by an author named Daniel Coyle. And uh, yeah, and I, I guess one question I have for you is what do you think makes a special team so special? What do you think would be the most important factor that would make that team great? Mm-hmm. So we're looking at human organizations. If it's a sports team, we're looking at the top one of the 1%, so maybe the most successful dynasties, the Patriots, the Bulls with Michael Jordan. And then if we're talking about businesses, I'm assuming the ones who have the most revenue, 
the Amazons, mm-hmm. the Apple. And I think this is going to be very vague, but I think it's just like focus, determination, and just like eye on the prize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something, the focus on the goal, that's something that the book talks about. And mm-hmm. here there's an example from the, uh, from the book where they have, and I'm going to get some of the, the figures wrong, of course, <laughs> but uh, generally this is the example where basically there were these researchers and they took sticks, like straw sticks, uh, a ball of yarn, a thing of scotch tape and a marshmallow and went and took teams and they had the teams build a tower using all those supplies as tall as possible, a freestanding structure as tall as possible. The only rule being that the marshmallow had to be on top. And they took uh, a group of CEOs. They took lawyers. They took business students, MBA students. Um, They took engineers, artists, and a group of kindergartners. Ooh, all on a separate team? Like, all on separate teams. They did it okay. independently. I, who, I love this. I love this so much. I don't even know what the answer is yet for which groups are the most successful, but I love the idea of it. So, and again, I'm going to get the, so the, the lowest performing group averaged something like 20 inches tall for their structure. Mm-hmm. And the tallest group averaged 29 inches tall for their structure. Not a big difference. Nine inches. The author made it sound significant, so maybe it, maybe I'm gonna, <laughs> or maybe that was just good writing. I, um, I think I think nine inches is plenty. More than plenty. More than plenty. Um, so who do you who do you do you have a random guess uh, as to who did the best? Yeah, I w- I would love to weigh in here. Um, I think my heart is rooting for the kindergartners. There's something romantic about kids. Or there's something, uh, I'll probably cut that out. I don't like, I don't want to use the word romantic in kids. <laughs> there's something, there's something that, romantic uh, about kids. Uh, all right. Uh, there's something special. It makes you want to root for the fact that kids in their youthfulness can outperform the grownups who you know we just think we know it all and we'll always tell kids you'll understand when you're older you you won't explain things to kids because we're smarter so part of me definitely rooting for the kindergartners i think engineers have a clear advantage this is if you're a structural engineer this is your job also the artists i feel like i feel like this is like almost an art sculpture they're just putting together a contraption. I'm, I don't know why I feel like they work with toothpicks and marshmallows and strings all the time in art class doing their abstract art. But I'm going to say the group that made it the highest was the engineers. And I'm going to say the kids were second. The CEOs were last. So one thing I will note, and you can tell me if this is going to change your answers. I don't think it will. But there was a time limit on how long they had to build it. It was like an hour or something like that. So so it wasn't like they had – it was a week-long competition because that kind of changes things. It definitely does. 
Um, so, it was, but does that change any of your answers? Nope. Nope. But that's, that's, it's good to know. All right. So last place was the MBAs. Okay. So business okay. students came in last. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, the, the CEOs came in second. Second to last or second overall? Second overall. Okay. First place. Should I do over- a drum roll? First place overall. Drum roll, please. <laughs> Was the kindergartners. Nice. Love it. And so you want to hear the hypothesis as to why? Yeah. So the hypothesis as to why the business students did the worst and it's also kind of an, uh, a hypothesis as to why the kindergartners did the best is because the business students tended to spend a lot of time positioning themselves within the group that they were in. Mm, yep. And they tended to spend a lot of time saying, all right, this, uh, I, I want to be the leader. So I'm going to start putting out ideas. I'm going to start trying to make it so I'm the leader of this group they had that kind of internal monologue, which leads to less focus on the actual task at hand. They're more focused on their positioning within the group. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they come up with a great plan. They say, all right, we're going to design out this. Here's the problem. We're going to design out this plan. They treat it very strategically. And then they design out a structure and then they separated tasks one person works on this, one person works on this, then they bring it all together and then do it at the end. Um, But while they did really well at coming up with a plan and and separating labor and this and that, they didn't test many different solutions. So they just came up with one solution in this hypothetical um, scenario and they didn't do a lot of trial and error because Mm -hmm. they spent a lot of time planning. And as the scale slides towards the kindergartners at the kindergartner side, they, as soon as the task starts, they just start grabbing stuff and they just start (laughs) sticking it together and they just start making it bigger and taller and they, and something doesn't work and they're not really communicating. They're just kind of, if something doesn't work, they just tear it down and they say, Oh, this doesn't work. And they don't care if somebody else is the one who put it, put the tape there and it doesn't work. Cause it doesn't matter. They just take it down and they try something else. And they, none of them are thinking about anything other than just making the tower go up and they're just yeah. trying over and over and over and over again. And so the fact that they do that and they don't, there's no um, friction about what they're, what they're doing. They just tend to do better. So it has nothing to do with their intelligence or their experience or their knowledge of the general takeaway was that the more time you spend planning and uh, not doing, and the more time you spend communicating and um, having a meeting about it, the worse you tend to do. Yeah, this is fantastic. There is a lot to unravel here. Um, this is great. So the t- the team that did the best is the kindergartners, which you assume that's also the team that just like ate the most of their materials. Like, there's no way. <laughs> those kindergartens were eating the marshmallows. So let's extrapolate. What lessons can we learn from this? Is it that kindergartners should be ruling the world or they should be the head of CEOs? Like, I think it's that business students are dumb. 
(laughs) No, maybe not that. But I think the lesson to learn is maybe if a, if a meeting feels like it's unnecessary, it probably is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's such a good point that you can spend a lot of time planning. And as you were saying earlier about this book, one of the most important things is just doing and just getting going. Yeah. And the author talks about a lot of the people who get pointed out as the best leaders in these organizations are people who are the most likely, and this goes into my last point about this book that I thought was interesting. The the people who are most likely to be pointed out as the best leaders in these organizations with the best and most successful cultures, um, people not necessarily that had the most stereotypical leadership qualities, but it was a lot of people who asked really good questions. They made made everybody else feel elevated and they had humility and they were affable and they were able to say that they didn't know how to do something. They were able to admit when they were in over their head kind of thing. And so the author talks about how the step to making a connection, like a connection between you and me, Paz, (laughs) is person one person has to show that they're vulnerable mm-hmm. and then the other person receives it and then accepts that vulnerability and then presents their own vulnerability and then the original person then receives that and says uh er, and accepts that mm-hmm. okay so that's so that's like kind of the idea that's that's how you make it if you're meeting somebody on the street say we're meeting a member of buzz nation out on the street that's mm-hmm. a way that we can, they walk up to us and they say, Ooh, I, um, I just realized my flies unzipped. How silly. (laughs) And then, and then I say, Ooh, man, that's crazy. Well, I didn't put on deodorant today, so don't come close to me (laughs) because we all make silly mistakes. And then they laugh and then we share that vulnerability together. And that, and that makes us instant friends. Not that we wouldn't be anyways, but Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is very interesting, uh, the vulnerability aspect. I do wonder if we should try this on the air, whether we be vulnerable with each other or we be vulnerable with our listeners. Sure. Um, Let's do it. Can we be vulnerable with both each other and our listeners? Is there anything? Should we pick a topic to make it easier? I'll just be, I'll just talk about something that I actually talked about with somebody today. It was an example of me being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So I was talking to somebody today and we were talking about baseball. I've always been a big fan of baseball. And when I was a kid, you and I actually, you and I played in the same little league. And I always thought I would be a really good baseball player because my brother was a good baseball player and I really liked baseball. I loved what I love watching it. I can so, confirm Slavo has impeccable hand-eye coordination. Thank you. And so I always thought I'd be great. And then what I found out, found out when I was in Little League was that I, anytime, the first pitcher that I faced was the hardest thrower in Little League. So I was a little fourth grader and it was a sixth grader that threw really, really hard. And Whenever I faced a slow pitcher, I was great. 
just <laughs> confident as can be. But if I faced a f- fast pitcher, I was terrified, terrified of the ball. Mm-hmm. And this carried all the way through to my 12 year old year that at this point I'm a leader of my baseball team. All right. My little league team. I'm one of the older people. This is my third year of three in this little league team. And there was this player on another team and I'm going to call him, um, Jim Johnson for now. (laughs) That's not his name, but Jim Johnson threw the ball really hard. And he was, he was my age and I knew him. And I, and I mean, he was, he was taller than me and whatnot. And I was terrified of Jim Johnson throwing the ball. And I, there was one little league game where this was where my baseball career ended was there was one (laughs) little league game that Jim Johnson was pitching for the other team. And I'm supposed to bat cleanup for our team, which is the, for people who don't know baseball is the, that's the the what they call the heart of the order, which is the person who's supposed to be the best hitter, and I'm supposed to bat cleanup. And you know what I did, Paz? You know what I did? I faked sick. Really? It's I don't still- know if I've ever shared this story. I I faked sick, and then when he got taken out of the game in the fourth inning, I got better, quote unquote. And then wow, it went, went okay. into the game. You did it. Mid game. Um, okay. Interesting. You, you fake sick. So this is, uh, and I do think this is a very relatable story where I personally, and I imagine most people who played baseball, I was afraid of the ball. And when you did have someone who was, you know, a little wild, they couldn't reliably throw strikes all the time. It was very scary. And it was so tough to get a hit and make contact with the ball when you're like, also on edge and just ready to jump to the floor, avoiding the baseball missile. And again, for anybody who doesn't know baseball, the reason it's so scary is because they're throwing the baseball very fast. And if they're not very accurate, as many people are in little league, which is when you're 12 years old, they can, they can hit you with the baseball and it hurts really bad. But for me, it wasn't necessarily the pain. Like I'd been hit before, but it was just the fear of being hit that just Mm -hmm. overwhelmed me. And it basically just made me, and that was when it was like, oh, my, my baseball career is done. Something I thought I was going to be good at, but I'm afraid of the ball. And I can't, I can't even go, I literally can't bring myself to go against a pitcher. If I went back and now current me and tried to play baseball, I don't know if I'd be afraid of the ball. I really don't because I haven't played since I've only played slow pitch. Yeah. So did you play after Little League? I I thought no. you might have. No, never wow. played. And I re- I regretted yeah. it too. I because I want uh, I was jealous of baseball players, but was afraid of the ball and just and after that it was scarring. My whole family was there, and my mm-hmm. I remember my brother was like, <laughs> in in so many words was like, I think you're fine. Like why don't you play? Like. Mm-hmm. We're here to watch yeah. you play. And I was like, no, 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 no. And then I eventually did. So yeah. it was just very like, not only was I afraid of something, but I was also then kind of like, couldn't admit that I was afraid. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think at the time you could admit it to yourself? I wouldn't have admit You could have confronted me about it and I wouldn't have yeah, admitted yeah. it at the time. But I think if you, 
had me like I knew that I yeah, was lying. Yeah. If if you if you had a, a journal, a diary at night. And oh, yeah. Were, I would have been like, I had to yeah. lie to everyone today. And I it's not like I felt good about it. It wasn't like I was like a pathological liar. I felt horrible. It was like the worst situation you could be in where you're terrified, but you don't think you should be terrified. So mm-hmm. you're lying mm-hmm. to make it so you're not terrified. Yeah. So it doesn't seem like you are. Um, mm-hmm. Because you don't yeah. want to be vulnerable. So what I was so what I want to do now is I want to say that back then I should have just confronted the fact that I was afraid of the ball and just admitted it and said, you know what, I'm afraid of the ball. And then maybe try to have people help me try to figure out how to not be afraid of the ball instead of just walking away from it forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that takes a lot of bravery to say you are afraid of the ball. And I mean, you're speaking what a lot of people are feeling. I know I felt that way. Um, and I know a lot of other people did as well. This is gonna this is gonna hit home to a lot of people who played baseball. I mean, a <laughs> lot of people. Who yeah, and I baseball. guess the if you expand it out, it goes to mm-hmm. anything that people are afraid to do. If you're afraid of something, um, it's and it's hard to do. But a lot of times, it's better to confront what you're afraid of mm-hmm. than pretend that you're not afraid of it, mm-hmm. even though you know you are. Yeah. 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 It's that's, that's very interesting. Like confront it, especially if it's a scenario where there may be a lot to gain in your case, you really like the idea of continuing to play baseball and um, the joy it'll bring you and and how much fun it'll be. And and having been a, a member on a softball team that involved you, I think those skills did not definitely did not go to waste. I love, I, think, I love softball now. It's a, it, yeah. it's like making up for lost time, <laughs> but yeah, thank you for sharing. And I do think it's a very relatable to it feels most great. people. I feel, I feel very happy that I shared. So I need to, I need to get vulnerable. Um, that was a very good one. And that's like, uh, that was very good. It's tough to follow. I feel vulnerable you- about following <laughs> such a fantastic. Hey, hey, that's okay. And so this is one I am, I, I don't love saying, especially if we're going to put this out there because I feel like people will prank me once they know, but I don't like tight spaces. So elevators, a lot of times, really? if it's, yeah, if it's like a four to f- like, we're talking four to seven stories. If I'm by myself, eight out of ten times I'm taking the stairs. Um, if I go into a bathroom at a gas station and I don't have my phone, I may just hold it and wait. Or I, like, I need to know there's an out. Like in my head, if I get in the elevator and I get stuck and I'm just there and I can't do anything, or if I'm in a bathroom and I can't do anything, I would like freak the fuck out and. So it very much comes into play where a lot of times I'll take the stairs instead of the elevator. I like am very paranoid about going in bathrooms where I will look at the ceiling and be like, could I climb out of here? Like, is there a window? Uh, do I have my phone? Does it have battery and signal? Just because I'm so afraid of getting stuck. So and- if there's if there's someone else in the in the elevator, would you be more likely to go in? 
Yeah, absolutely. Like if I'm with people, I'm never going to be like, oh, let's take the stairs. And I feel for whatever reason, I think that's the the comfort. Like maybe when you're you a feel kid. safer. Yeah. Like I remember like when I was a kid and like if I'm staying home alone and it's dark and you hear a noise, you're a little scared. But if I have my younger brother there or my older sister, even though my younger brother's a baby and can't do anything, you feel better. Um, and, and so if I'm in an elevator or a close space with someone else, I do feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that, now that this is like, if we just put this out there and you know, who knows if someone ever needs to get a secret out of me, I feel like I'm very vulnerable to, uh, being interrogated by, you know, a mortal enemy or just friends playing pranks. Well, I will say you gave people, you were like, if you want to interrogate me, this would be a good way to interrogate. You were giving people reasons to do it. Um, I don't think me or any of our friends or any members of Buzz Nation would would do that to you as much as they would walk up to me and throw a baseball as hard as they possibly could. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that would be pretty cruel. If anything, I, it makes me want to just go into tight spaces with you so I can be, so I can be there for you. <laughs> um, um, the bathroom I've, so I've heard about elevators. Mm-hmm. Is, so is it claustrophobia? Is it the fear that it's going to close in on you? Or is it the, is it the fear that in a, in a bathroom, what is your fear there? Yeah. So, I mean, I think clearly it's not like a founded fear in any of these situations. At some point, someone would help. I'm not going to rot away in a elevator or a bathroom, but I think it's just in my head, there's no options or escape. There's some relief where I'm like, I know there's another move I can make. So even if I'm in a bathroom and there's like a window I can get out of, or I think I could climb through the ceiling or I have a phone and I could call someone and start like mm-hmm. making it work. It's just, I think it's the fear of just being in there and having no options. Um, and, and I do, it is something that I think I have semi under control where if a place doesn't have stairs or if I just want to take the elevator, you know, as you said, to confront it or make a point, it's like, it's no big deal. It really isn't. Like I can get in there. I can take a few deep breaths, you know, maybe right before the elevator door opens, I panic a little bit. I'm like, what if it doesn't open? But it it is Mm. uh, pretty over, like it's easy to overcome, especially if if I need to. But then at the same time, it's like, Hey, if I don't have to deal with it and it's just two story stairs, you know, Stairs are healthy for you. Why not? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, well, thank you for sharing with that. I think that's very relatable as well. I think a lot of people deal with those kind of concerns where they're afraid of specifically elevators, but whether it be small spaces, enclosed spaces, closets, um, you name it. I think yeah. I think that's very common. So I think a lot of listeners are going to be able to relate to you. I personally, I for whatever reason i just don't it just doesn't hit me but i it's but just, i understand why it would so but um also i do feel like a lot of people really like tight spaces it can feel cozy also while we're at it i think i low key might have ocd just like a little bit <laughs> when it comes to checking the oven and the refrigerator mm. to make sure they're off and closed and then i walk away <laughs> and then i walk back and then check it again I like, I think it's yeah, yeah. also because I have the memory of a goldfish <laughs> because I walk away. I'm like, did I, 
<laughs> and then I, I go back. I'm like, did I? <laughs> G Dizzle will look yeah. at me sometimes and be like, yes, it's off. You literally just checked one second ago. I'll be like, but yeah, like was I looking? Was my mind drifting when yeah, I was but, looking? I know. Yeah, I understand that as well. I do that all the time. Better safe than sorry. But yeah, I'm. I'm really happy about where this. Uh, where this. This uh, blurb has gone. Talking about this book and just talking about general stuff and talking about ourselves, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Uh, I. I appreciate. I appreciate this journey that we've gone on. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just one quick thought, just because we're talking about the tight spaces. One of the most petrifying things to me that I always heard about in ancient times or older times was when they would bury someone, they would give them a rope and, or a string, and it would go from the coffin to like a bell in the graveyard because it was so common to bury people alive. And it was very common for someone to wake up in the coffin because they weren't fully dead and then they oh, and they wait like an extended period of time i think they have conferences every year about how you determine someone's dead because someone could be in a coma for like two weeks faint no- heartbeat yeah and then all of a sudden they wake up and they've they found like many coffins with like nail scratches on them when they pull them out that's terrifying what if yeah. if i uh if I if I go pick out my own coffin, I'm gonna tell them. I'm gonna be like, "Don't tell anyone." But when you go to close this sucker, scratch some nails in the <laughs> inside. <laughs> oh, right man. before you put me in, scratch it. Scratch a scratch a help. Scratch change my will <laughs> on the inside of my coffin. <laughs> something else. Create a legal battle. Yeah. Be careful, dude. Karma's a bitch. You're going to... What do you mean? There's going to be a legal battle with my will now? No, they're going to... You're going to have... I'm going to leave gonna, it all to the Buzz Nation. Yeah, you're going to be ringing the bell and people are going to be like, this is Slavo. This is just his prank he's pulling. I mean, that would you're suck. Gonna, I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, that'd be terrible. Yeah. Um, th- this has been our first episode of Buzz and Blurbs. Paz, thanks for another great episode by the way your hair is looking just <laughs> sparkling right now thank you and and yeah i i enjoyed buzz and blurbs and uh let us know what you think of the buzz and blurbs and look forward to doing future blurbs and also the future biographies thank you everyone have a wonderful day all right future days mm-hmm. goodbye now bye-bye